Welcome to the Barry Morthon. My name is Taylor. And my name is Patrick. And I have a question for you, Taylor. What is your question, Patrick? Tonight, our dog, Santino Pacino, isn't here with us. We're doing a big recording, banking some stuff night. And he was crying and whining as if, you know, we were imprisoning him. We were. He was in his crate. You know, he's crate trained uh, during his during the last episode. So my question of the week for you is, how loud and annoying do you think he will be during this episode as he eats his pepper and inevitably bothers the hell out of us? Mm, I think that he's, you know, I, I don't think you guys can even hear him crunching on this pepper. But, and just to be clear, it's a frozen bell pepper that we stuff with kibble and pumpkin and yogurt. Um, but he's, you know, he's chomping on it. I don't think you guys can even hear it. I think he will get very annoying once he finishes it and he gets his post-treat zoomies. That's what we should be fearful of. I also need to ask, Patrick, what are we, I have a question for you. Right. What are we chewing on right now? Uh, well, it kind of give away a future Why Two Kids episode, wouldn't it? Oh. I didn't realize that this was would spoil it. Okay, well, we're eating something that... You should uh, listen to Y2 Kids, you know. Yeah, listen to Y2 Kids, specifically our British Invasion episode. This is the Drew Barrymore-thon, where we are watching every single Drew Barrymore movie, whether we want to or not, like this week. Um, but we also have to show Y2 Kids, where we watch um, nostalgic things from our childhood, TVs, movies. Sometimes we do, like, music. We do a snack of the week every week, and that's what Taylor's referring to. So yeah, go check out Y2 Kids and um, you'll know what we're here eating the remnants of uh, on a future episode of that. This week on Drew, we've hit what I like to call the Vince Vaughn effect, which is um, she's not in it and it sucks. There he is. Oh, well, now he's going to get more annoying because instead of clanking it on the soft uh, couch, he's decided to move to the floor and clank it on the hardwood. Do you agree with the Vince Vaughn effect? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we doubled these two movies. We almost triple featured it for the first time because next week movie is like, she's the lead. She's the title character. And we're like, maybe we just mention these movies in passing for five seconds and say that we watch them. I mean, watch them, but just be like, oh, yes. And we watched it and she was in it for five seconds and give her the same amount of time on the pod as she's given in the movie. Uh, however, something else kind of popped up this week that we felt um, we would be able to talk about. We're going to get into that in, I, I say later, what will probably be about five minutes from now. Um, so the two movies this week, uh, one, Waxwork 2, Lost in Time. Um, so Waxwork 2, if, I, if it wasn't clear, Drew is literally in both of these movies for less than 30 seconds. I think in Waxwork it's... Literally. I think in Waxwork it's like 15 seconds. And I, wanna, and I don't think she has a line. No. And I want to say in Motorama it's 45 seconds. Yeah. Waxwork 2 uh, picks up like seconds after Waxwork 1 ends in what looks to be at the beginning of two, like a montage of the end of ones. So we were like, okay, well, it looks like they were in like a wax museum or something. We didn't watch the first one. Um, and it's this really funky movie about these people who threw their, I guess, wax museum from the first movie, open up a portal throughout time 
and go to different sort of eras and lands and Hollywood horror films, not even just Hollywood, but horror films in general. And it's kind of like this weird, like, channel chaser movie where, like, the the two protagonists find themselves in, like, other movies and other storylines. Um, and there's a Nosferatu scene. It's like Universal Monsters. Uh, yes. Nosferatu would not be considered one, but right. yes. It's classic monsters. Oh, sorry. No, you're, you're fine. I do like that they're Frankenstein. There's an extended Frankenstein sequence. And it's very unlike the Universal Frankenstein. He's not green and bolted. and uh, He's like more Mary Shelley Frankenstein. Like he's like a creepy monster who's chained up in the basement of Victor Frankenstein's, you know, laboratory or whatever. And that's like a pretty interesting scene. It is very hokey 90s. Like it reminded me of like adult Goosebumps. Like it's like this is like fake gothic it's like fake creepy it's like kid friendly horror um dare i say it is a camp icon i i was watching this and i was like i kind of like this movie i don't know what the fuck is going on um i think I, that added to it i don't know a damn thing about the first one and i'm sorry but i'm not gonna go back and watch the first one because at, at the end of the day we're watching every drew barrymore movie not every movie that could in some not every whack work <laughs> <laughs> not every we're one. watching some whack works let me yeah, tell you that we're watching some wacky works um but no more wax works yeah, you know, like, it's, um, Drew is the vehicle for another conversation, and, like, I don't think that Waxwork 1, um, is, like, a necessary conversation to have, and I could instead save that 97 minutes of my life. Waxwork 2 Lost in Time is 145 minutes, excuse me, um, it is, it is an hour and 45 minutes. Sunny's, uh, bell pepper really hitting your nose right now, because I'm getting whiffs of an orange bell pepper right now. I just like cannot focus um, because of the pepper. Um, but it's it's very like there's an Edgar Allan Poe scene. There's a Dawn of the Dead scene. Um, there's an alien scene. Like they go through these different movies, and it's like it reminded me of like the great movie ride at, at Disney World. You know, it's very much like that kind of um, concept. It's like this. Bill and Ted, Jimmy Timmy, Power Hour, Channel Chasers, great ride, great movie ride, you know, com- combination. I dug it. I think if you're like if you like horror movies, and uh, this is your thing, like check it out. I feel like um, I don't. I I say it's very kiddie. It did remind me of Goosebumps quite a bit. I don't. I cannot think of anything that's like particularly inappropriate for children unless i'm missing like a super obvious example that i've forgotten yeah i feel like we were just having such a great time with it that we weren't like thinking too critically about it like it's just really campy and goofy and fun and huge and ginormous like even if there is something that might be inappropriate it is done in such a way that it is like nothing about this is literal nothing about this is realistic yeah so like in the same way that like when i was a kid and i would watch alvin and the chipmunks meet frankenstein I think that, like, if you have, like, a kid in your life that you want to, like, hint towards Alien and hint towards Dawn of the Dead and hint towards Nosferatu, this would be, like, a fun kind of way to do that. Yeah. I don't think that that's, that's unfair to say. I would say, like, the first 
30 45 minutes of this movie i was so into it and like don't be wrong i mean there's nothing that i like particularly disliked about it it just like it does get like a little old like you know it, it's it's a little repetitive and in, in what it's doing because it is that kind of channel chasers setup punchline thing um but the i the the opening of this like the first 20 minutes are like one of the greatest bad movies I've ever seen. Well, like there's like 20 minutes or so before they start bouncing through time. Yeah, and like that is like the trial. Like I mean, it is so oh my God, good. The freaking trial. Okay, the movie doesn't make any sense, and it makes even less sense if you haven't seen the first one. So watch the first 20 minutes. I I highly recommend that. <laughs> we are not gonna like try to explain. It. I'm pretty sure it's on Tubi. That's how we watched it because Tubi has everything, and Tubi rules all. And also, Tubi somehow does it with commercials without the commercials being annoying. We were watching something on Freebie recently, and I was like, this is the worst shit ever. I mean, they have commercials every three minutes. It's, like, worse than television. Literally. Tubi, like, like the, the guy watches the movie and, like, finds out where to put them. You know, talk like, about, we want to talk about horror for a second. The jump scare I get when there's a commercial now, like, that was so ingrained in our lives. Like, you just watch commercials. Commercials. That's how you watch things on TV. Like, it was normal, whatever. But, like, I go, like, ugh. Like, what is that? What what just paused my movie and is trying to sell me something? Like, I literally <laughs> get, like, goosebumps um, when, I, when I get something now. Um, that's one thing that's great about Tubi is there's a countdown in the corner. It goes, like, commercial coming in five four threes you can like prepare for it you can go to the bathroom <laughs> yeah exactly um okay that's that movie it's fine uh motorama this movie is weird it's uh about a little boy who runs away from home was it the imdb or the wikipedia or something calls it like a reverse home alone yeah yeah, I think that that's what Letterboxd calls it as well. Which I, I think is just kind of a lazy, like, way to try and... It's probably what the producers called it, and a yeah. lazy attempt to sell it, because, like, reverse... Home Alone was so big. Well, reverse Home Alone is just running away from home. Like, there's, it's not like it's a reverse engineer plot, you know. But this boy, he runs away from home for whatever reason, and what he attempts to do is... Um, collect these like playing cards called motorama cards they're trading cards they're pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh. the dog has finished his pepper so he's gonna start being loud and annoying now you know and and he thinks that if he hold on let's let him speak all right did you guys hear that i think the sniffs registered <laughs> um he thinks that if he collects all of these motor no no chocolate <laughs> hide the chocolate no dead dogs on our hands that's for waxworks he thinks that if he collects all of these Motorama cards, he'll cash in. Oh, I think there is like a, if you collect every card, you can win a million bucks or something. You win the Danimal sweepstakes. Right, exactly. And he goes on a mission to collect all the cards. Spoilers for a movie you're never going to watch. Of course, he does collect them and finds out, well, well, you get entered into a competition to win. You don't automatically, we don't give you a million dollars, you know. Anyway, this is how he tries to kind of make money um, on his, um, on his road trip adventure, he does like very silly shit where he, um, you know, like creates stilts so he can drive and sits on pillows so he can see up in the car. You know, like it's just kind of gooby and silly. Um, Drew is in it for 45 seconds. I don't even know if we explained who Drew was in Waxwork. She is vampire victim number one. Yes, there's a Nosferatu scene and she is like... Laying in a bed with another vampire woman. Or another another, another human woman. And they are... She's with vampire victim number two. Yes. 
But you don't even see them. <laughs> okay, guys, I know you can't do this. <laughs> but I just held the microphone to Patrick, and our dog literally wrapped his hand or, or his paw around my hand and pulled the microphone to himself. So clearly he has a lot to say. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, but he's he's a little podcast baby, and this is what happens when you raise children in the digital age, okay? <laughs> um but yeah, so like you don't even see them being like slayed. You just he, like, like bites into them. Like, oh in really? Sort of I don't even remember well, that. Well, that's three yeah, seconds. Yeah, I blinked. I mean, you, it was yeah. over. Yeah. Anyway, in Motorama, she's like a vision. She's like Hawaiian. She's... I'm for for to to ease my own mind. I'm just going to say she was a beachy goddess. She's a tropical goddess, yes. and she goes like. Timmy, I don't even remember the fucking boy's name. <laughs> it's been a long week, folks. It's a little, it's a little boy. So he's there's like a ninety two percent chance that he's called Timmy. Um, she goes like, she goes like, Timmy, you need to collect all of those waxwork cards. Whatever you do, Timmy, make sure that you don't stop. You have to collect them all. You know, then she kind of, the vision fades away. And that's that for Drew. Um, You know, it's, listen, it's the cameos week, folks. We did it for Vince. We did the comedy cameos episode where we watched Anchorman and we watched Sex and the City and, and we did like a bunch of the, Stuff that we knew he was going to be Although in for wildly different quality of cameo. Well, that's the thing. Is like this was kind of harder to tell because I had seen Anchorman. We had watched Sex of the City already. We knew like his level of involvement in those things. We didn't really know how much. It says cameo. It says Vic, vampire victim number two. We don't really know how much he's going to be in it. You look it up on YouTube and the clip is 45 seconds. But you go like, well, I'm sure that there's going to be more. You know. Um, nope. A, a collective less than 60 seconds of screen time in two movies this week. And Motorama was like literally tough to stomach because it was, was it on YouTube in this like terrible VHS rip quality? Um, in an upcoming Y2 Kids episode, Taylor's going to poo on VHS quality. I get a charm out of it you can really tell that we just recorded y2 kids right before this because we've talked about we've talked about channel chasers jimmy timmy power hour hating commercials but used to loving used to like being used to them and now we're talking about um and we were still eating our snack like we're this is a really y2k infused uh drew episode and just like that episode um an ambulance drove by and the dog is being loud and annoying so nothing but the best for you guys um so yeah it, it was just tougher because we didn't know how much she was going to be in them she is truly barely barely in them and oh the point about motorama it's vhs quality on youtube which is worse and it also seems like it's like a bad rip, you know, and like it's it's like borderline unwatchable. You can suffer through it if you like really care about what you're watching. I don't I can't say either one of us really good about Motorama that much. Um, Drew's in it very early on. The rest of it was just kind of blank expressionless stares from both of us. And we were like, how the hell are we going to fill an entire episode it's too late to do blah 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 blah. what we've already skipped a week on another you know this is only episode five or six we've already skipped a week you know like what are we gonna do 
And then we kind of decide that, well, there's a documentary coming out that we feel like... No, not even that. I have spoken on behalf of this documentary the past two episodes, and we have not watched it yet. I've just been like, I'm pretty sure. So we decided to watch it. We decided to watch Pretty Baby. Right, which is a documentary about Brooke Shields, which um, obviously is not Drew. It turns out Drew's in it, and we were like, oh, check. Uh We, we have we are continuing to watch every Drew Barrymore movie. Um, but, you know, we say all the time, like, the show's not about Vince Vaughn. We don't care about his personal life. We don't care about his, you know, his gossip or whatever. None of that really matters to us. The show is not about Drew Barrymore. Although we've talked about, you know, her um, drug addiction as a child, as we did a couple weeks ago. Or we've talked about what it means to be a child star and, and things like that. Drew is the vehicle for the conversation. And it could, for all intents and purposes, it could be Brooke Shields. You know, um, it could be the Brooke Shields-a-thon. Um, this is a a very similar um, time frame, very similar era, very similar circumstances to what Drew experienced, and we've touched on before by by uh, reading sections of her memoir. And so this is like we felt like it was just like okay, we've talked about it enough. We need to watch it. It's only two hours. You know, um, let's. Uh, let's like officially make it happen for no reason at all. It is two hour long episodes on Hulu when it could just be one hour or one two hour long documentary. I'm sure there's some analytics. It helps the more you click, you know, it improves the blah, blah, blah. Who knows how, how streamers work with their numbers. Um, but it's basically just a two hour documentary about Brooke Shields life. And so, um, oh. all right, he's officially barking. Doug's got to go up. Okay. He's trying to eat chocolate right now, which is really something we have to intervene. All right, we're back. A podcasting dog, he is not ready to become. He's not the lap dog that he thinks he is. He just can't chill. We tried our best, folks. We promise we're good dog parents, <laughs> but we're also good podcasters, and you deserve better than his clinking and clanking around. So he is up he's safe we promise he's crate trained this is this is not prison uh and he's good we're good we're going to continue our conversation um so taylor the the um the brook shields documentary yeah so like i said um this came out and you know several weeks ago and instantly again before we even knew that drew was on it i started mentioning it because just in like the teasers that i saw the trailers the clips on uh tiktok and whatever um i realized that there were clearly a lot of similarities between her and brooke's story which again we nailed because drew ended up being in it um i knew that drew particularly felt a connection to brooke shields also because i saw a clip of brooke going on the drew barrymore or (laughs) going on the drew barrymore-thon going on the drew barrymore show hey brooke if you want to feel free to yeah. come on the Drew Barrymore-thon. Yeah, Brooke, feel free. And also, we are free to go on the Drew Barrymore show. Mm-hmm. Um, so please reach out. Anyways, um, so basically, you know, I saw a clip of them, you know, indulging in a fond, you know, sweet moment, as Drew does with all of her guests. I just want to get on my knees and hug her like she does with all of her guests as she, like, strokes their hands. She's so freaking cute. Um... But yeah, I mean, Patrick's right. I feel like we see, we end up saying this every episode, but, you know, Vince was not only, you know, do we like to keep that separation just in our own, like, way that we conduct this show, because it's not about the person necessarily, but Vince was a particularly off-the-grid, anti-press, anti-involvement 
po- like post or pre-acting, um, you know, person. He there was nothing to dig up really. Um, you know, he doesn't have like this crazy dating history. He doesn't really do nothing in his personal life except for maybe his politics. Um, affects his view as a um actor, and so but. Drew, it does. It, it very much does. So, you know, there's a lot about being a, a, a child star. Brooke Shields um, started getting involved in modeling um, when she was 11 months old. So, you know, you have this show mom, you know, like this stereotypical, I want my daughter to, you know, my daughter's the most beautiful, perfect thing that the world has ever seen. She needs to be everywhere. Everybody needs to know who Brooke Shields is. Um, you know, anytime you are dealing with child stars, particularly, of course, child stars that are as young as 11 months old, literally can't even say a word yet, um, and they are already working, um, there's obviously a clear issue of consent. And how much does this child want this? What is nature versus nurture? How much does she, you know, or how much does that actor or actress actually want to be doing it? Are they just trained to think that they want to do it. And Brooke shared something that I thought was really interesting is she, you know, they didn't have a lot of money. And so when Brooke, you know, got a little bit older, I mean, very young still, obviously like eight years old still, but she, she made a clear connection on her own mentally of like, when I get a big job working, you know, on a TV or in a big magazine that I see at the supermarket, we have an upgraded life. We get a car that we really need. We upgrade to a, you know, two-bedroom apartment rather than a studio that my mom and I share. Like, she was like, if I do A, B will happen, you know, and it benefits my life directly. So she was the sole breadwinner, and she took a lot of pride in that. And I think that there is something to be said about, like, anyone who has grown up with some level of, you know, poverty or money insecurity, financial insecurity in some way, um, like, you know, I did, like, I grew up very much knowing that, like, if I made money, my life would improve. And so it motivated me to make that money. And, you know, we can talk all day about the ethics of how she was getting that money uh, and the consent or lack thereof involved with her making that money. But it is a very similar similar thing. And, you know, what Drew really talks about, and there are several people, Laura Linney uh, and her went to elementary school together. She talks a lot about Brooke's childhood from a very, like, non-showbiz perspective. She just talks about, like, you know, what it was like to be around Brooke when she was a kid and her mom. Um, whereas Drew comes from a, you know, like, I have this same shared life experience of being a non-consenting child actor and how that impacted me. Now, something that is very, very different between Brooke and Drew, albeit their very obvious similarities, is how they were perceived by the public and the ways in which they responded to this unconsenting fame. Um, Brooke became the literal poster child of purity and virginity and untaintedness in any way never messing up, speaking as, you know, from the time that she was, you know, five years old, speaking as though she were 30, wise beyond her years, and, you know, just, like, picture-perfect American girl. Looked perfect, sounded perfect, was perfect in every way. And then Drew, in a very different way, is, you know, 
as we know, struggling with addiction from the age of eight years old. Um, you know, openly partying is not at all the image of the American dream daughter like Brooke Shields is. And I think that that is just like such a clear, you know, how obviously their moms were not the same mom. It's not the exact same situation. I know that, you know, Drew had a, a very specific relationship with her mom and, 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 you know, Brooke had her own, you know, situation with her own mother. But, um, I just think it's interesting the way in which they both handled a very similar level of all eyes are on me. What do I do with all of this sudden fame that I can't even comprehend yet? Um, you know, obviously not to this same magnitude, but we've covered a lot of these themes on a Y2Kids episode uh, where we talked about Jeanette McCurdy's book, I'm Glad My Mom Died. And there is also, um, I highly recommend if you're interested in diving more into like Drew's relationship with, you know, uh, her mom. Not only does she speak to Brooke uh, about her mom in uh, the episode of the Drew Barrymore show where Brooke is on there, but she also has Jeanette McCurdy come on uh, following the release of that book, and that's also a very thought-provoking conversation. So, you know, we, we've covered a lot of a lot of these things um, already, uh, and so, you know, we, we don't need to repeat ourselves, but I think that there's an interesting, like, to the Hollywood history aspect of this podcast well, one, Brooke says, um, you know, I, I went off to college and I came back and nobody gave a shit about who I was anymore because while I was gone for those four years, um, uh, other girls took over. I don't want to go as far to say Drew was one of those other girls. But I think she kind of was. I don't think like literal timeline wise it works out that perfectly. Um, but I do think there's just an aspect of like she was broken training though. Like yeah. she was she was becoming a child, a successful child actor in a similar way. Yeah, I think that there's just a like we you know who is the I don't I don't mean hot as an attractive, but who is the hot eighteen year old girl? Who is the hot fifteen year old girl? You know, like who is like the girl of the moment? And then the it girl, the it girl. Thank you. Um, and then like that's. And then you turn 21 and you're too old for that now, you know? And, like, that's crazy um, how how um, women especially are just kind of cycled through in that way. Um, and, you know, I think we're kind of seeing it uh, in the Drew Barrymore-a-thon, which is, like, you know... We didn't even touch on the fact that in Motorama, yes, she's trying to lure him into getting these Motorama cards and, like, there is, there is a plot there to be moved, but... Let's keep in mind that when she appears as this tropical goddess in this mirage that he's seeing, she's in a bikini. She's wearing Hawaiian garb that is very revealing. She is speaking seductively. Exactly. There's like the the two points I I was going for, which is like one is like, you know, the um, she's in bed with another girl in waxworks. Right, and her hair her hair is all done up, and she's like, you know, being killed as beautifully as you can be killed. You know, especially the Nosferatu is very gothic, and you know these Dracula stories are considered romantic in some way. You know, um, but yeah, there's sort of two things going on here. One is the like very clear sexualization of um, underage girls, essentially. Right, um, you know, yes, she's this this tropical goddess. At the same time that you have Brooke saying, you know, what stands between me and my Levi's? Nothing, you know. Um, everybody knows, you know, that moment in pop culture history. Um, very similar things going on there. The other thing is being chewed up and spit out after you're no longer the it girl. 
whether you are the it girl at six to 10, like Drew was, or you're the it girl from, you know, 11 to 15, I'm ballparking here. 11 months to, to 21 in Brooks game. Right. At, at a certain point, uh, your chump change. You're not the hot girl anymore. You're not the it girl anymore. Um, and you have to make shitty movies like Motorama. And, um, you know, next week she has a starring role. I think next week's film is considered kind of a return uh, for her and a career resurgence. But between this and the Drew exploitation of See You in the Morning and the shit we watched the week before, like when she was in her, you know, teens, she was making garbage because nobody gave a fuck about who she was. Yeah, you know, there was... Except for, I'm sorry to cut you off, except for the... Um, paparazzi gossip people magazine aspect of her right that was why she was famous her movies are you know direct to video garbage yeah there was a lot that this i don't think that this documentary is perfect in in by any means um but there is a lot that i feel like i learned about just like media like the the distribution of media and the ways in which people control that that I feel like I suffered the direct effects of as a kid but never knew where it stemmed from and something that I thought was so interesting well not, I mean obviously horrible but interesting to like hear a scholar talk about was this idea that like there was a literal intentional pivot to selling sexy children that was a clear like decision being made by multiple hands in media distribution. TV shows, film, gossip, news, magazines. They were, you know, they were curating this boom of of selling sexy children, which is disgusting. And, you know, something that it wasn't until, I feel like this is being spoken about a lot, you know, recently. I've seen this, like, on TikTok and stuff. But it, it's so true, and it's something that I had never, like, clicked in my head before, is, like, when I was, like, 12, I literally could not walk down the street without being catcalled every four feet. It was, like, every car. And that doesn't, like, happen to me now as a fully formed adult you would think that these adults that are yelling out of their car or yelling across the street would rather prey on someone their own age but they very much do not and so to hear that they're you know not to say that some of these people aren't just total creeps that that you know I, I don't want to give anyone the excuse of being the product of their times in this instance but it was interesting to hear that they did they did intentionally make that move they did you know, encourage this behavior in some way, you know, media, big media, like not one per person or whatever. But I thought that that was so fascinating. And with Brooke Shields, you know, when you're watching the documentary and you literally, you know, track her from 11 months until basically her senior year of high school. And it is like, she is it. I mean, she is, there's no dulling her flame. There is literally no dulling her flame. And part of that, and I think, you know, there's there's an argument to be made um, of why we saw something different with 
withdrew is Brooke said like they were specifically selling my purity like what's hotter than a hot child a hot virgin child which is so icky to say out loud obviously um but because Drew clearly wasn't that and the tabloids ate her up and 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 said things that were true untrue you know rumors what have you constantly she was dirty quote unquote you know she was she was not this pure figure and so her light shined out you know quicker and with Brooke it it wasn't the you know necessarily the lack of purity in fact she had a a purity resurgence after college when she when well when Talking Heads wrote a book a memoir for her um and and she really only contributed to one part which was why her abstinence was so important to her um but what made her unsexy then was knowledge was like literally going to college you would think that you know having this idea of like you know the things that make her sexy in terms of like the the public eye of this you know like purity you know all american gorgeous well spoken mature you would think that going to an ivy league school and getting educated would also be part of that sex appeal but it wasn't because people want to keep the women in this country dumb subconsciously um, it totally reduced her in, in a way that I don't think she could have expected. Um, and you're right, like that disposability is something that um, is so such a vicious cycle. So even when next week she gets like a real part in a movie, it's not a 30 second cameo, in a movie that people are going to see, um, it's about her being sexual. The first three words of Poison Ivy, the, the, excuse me, the Poison Ivy letterbox synopsis is a seductive teen. Yeah. Right. She's the titular Poison Ivy. Um, one of the, we have not watched this movie yet, but one of the um, top reviews uh, on Letterboxd is, my favorite part was when Drew crashed a car into a tree and it cut to a slow-mo shot of her bare boobs hitting the steering wheel. Oh, yay. I can't wait. <laughs> I think that this is, I think that that obviously we're in that era and I talked about this last week. I talked about it at the beginning of the show. I'm just like this era just kind of sucks. I do believe that Poison Ivy is considered to be a camp trash masterpiece in a wild things. Uh, like uh, if you think too much about it, you'll ruin it for what yourself. What was the like. Alicia Silverstone, um, um, the, crush. the Crush? It's that. <laughs> we loved The Crush. It's so gross, so icky. <laughs> I mean, like, we are, like, totally, if you've seen The Crush, then you know that we just, like, took away any redemption we built up for ourselves trying to talk about this tastefully. I do, I do, I do think you can separate the two things. Yeah. Um, and I think that Poison Ivy is The Crush. Um, in fact, it came out around the same time. Um, so I think that we're going to, you know, we're going to like some of the um, – Drew exploitation of it all, while also finding um, the actual Drew Drew exploitation gross. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that those are two separate. Like things. the exploitation of it all in terms of like thematic and like you just know shitty trashy movies. Yes, um, but like the Drew specific exploitation yeah, is not icky. crazy about it. Yeah, and she's uh, uh, seventeen when Poison yeah. Ivy comes out. Yeah, you know. Um, Drew has, you know, is not a very large part of the Pretty Baby documentary, which is another reason why. I was, like, shocked when I was like, oh, we were like, oh, there she is. And, of course, she's, you know, sitting crisscross applesauce barefoot in the chair. And then they cut to her, like, one more time. And, like, that's you it. Mi- you did miss her give, like, a like a 
beat at the very end. Oh, great. She's like the last talking head, and oh, you were taking. Thanks. I'm sorry, you were taking the dog out, and that's what I was. This damn dog is just <laughs> ruining this podcast. I know he's our our biggest villain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's our poison ivy. Um, <laughs> no, but yeah. So I was gonna say, you know, she really kind of summarizes it right at the very end. She actually does a. I'm sorry, Drew, I love you, but she does a totally incorrect, like, baseball uh, ref, like, uh, oh, metaphor. Oh, I have to watch this now. I yeah, think she I'm... goes, like, you know, children now are hitting home runs. And it's like, that literally makes no sense. But, I, like, I anyway. swear to God, people, I watched an hour and 57 minutes of this documentary, and I was like, oh, we're two minutes away from the credits. I'm going to, the dog, like, clearly has to go here. I'm going to go. Yeah, of course. But essentially, the skinny of what she says, which is already pretty uh, fat-free, she she just says, um, you know, the the consensuality of child actors doesn't exist in any way, shape, or form. You know, it just doesn't. In the same way that consent to anything doesn't actually exist until your brain can be fully formed, um, we shouldn't make excuses when it comes to... Um, like child actors just because like it's it seems glamorous and something that you know I thought was really interesting is um at the end of the documentary around the time that Drew was saying this you know there's a shot of of a pretty prolonged uh shot of Brooke having dinner with her family with her two daughters who are teenagers I believe um you know older teenagers probably and they talk about how they they reference euphoria and, you know, a lot of people poo on euphoria um, about, you know, these older people, these 25-year-olds, 24-year-olds, 20-whatever-year-olds playing 16, 17, 18-year-olds. Um, but a part of that is consent. A part of that is consent. It absolutely is. I understand the, like, hypothetical lore of, like, the only person who can play an angsty 14-year-old effectively is an angsty 14 year old like I get that I I totally understand that from like a rational perspective but the truth of the matter is in in assuming that we are harming so many children whose choice it is not to actually be doing these projects um now I think that Brooke and again like we can't say she consented she didn't but like Brooke was very open about, like, she wanted to do this. And, like, even after, and, you know, obviously there's an argument of, like, well, it's all she ever knew. Like, how can you really say that? But to be fair, after Brooke goes to college, after she gets married to her first husband, um, uh, he says, like, do you want to keep acting? And she's like, yeah. Like, yeah, I actually really do. Um, it is, like, actually my passion despite being forced into it. It's, like, what I think I'm good at. It's what I love. It's what I have fun doing. It, you know, fills my cup. Um, and, like, I want to be doing it. And I think that that's really, like, special that she was able to kind of refine it for herself in a way that people didn't expect. She started doing, uh, you know, theater, musicals on, on, on Broadway. Um, and she also did, like, sitcoms. And she said that those were the most fulfilling projects that she worked on. Um, despite not being the scale at which people thought Brooke Shields should be, you know, working in. Um, I can't remember where I was going with this, but, you know, basically, you know, Drew uh, has taken has taken her time away. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting to see how the two are so similar and so different. But she, yeah, she talks a lot about the how the consensuality for, for child stars just simply doesn't exist. I think there's a similar to the, to the Broadway sitcom point. There's like a similar with Drew now. Which is she just she doesn't act. 
she does the thing that she wants to be doing, which is her talk show. Um, I don't know. She did, I think the Santa Clarita Diet is the most recent. Right. Oh, she like made like a cameo in like a Hallmark movie that we'll get to at some point. You know, but yeah, like in general, like I don't know if she, I don't believe she's you know sworn off acting or, or making movies or anything like that. But cl- I mean, there's an element to that in a talk show, and she clearly feels passionate about that. Yeah, clearly, right now, like her focus is the show in the same way that Brooke said, "I'm gonna go do Chicago on Broadway." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. We love you for it, Drew. Um, we will not be watching every episode of the Drew Barrymore show, although I like want to. I flip it. You know, I'm I'm home before you. I flip it on. Oh yeah, like when it, it when we are sitting in front of the TV with nothing particular to watch, like it is one of the go tos, if not Degrassi, which for you, yeah, for me. <laughs> uh, which let's talk about uh, Canadian standards. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, I I I feel like Pretty Baby, um, really. Again, I don't think it's a perfect documentary by any means. I don't think, you know, like every single thing is applicable to Drew. But in a lot of ways, it is kind of essential reading on like the time uh, or I guess the time leading up to Drew's kind of explosion um, and, you know, like how things were and and how, again, the media controlled um, the ways in which we perceive women, especially young women and children and um yeah, I think that there is a lot to be said, a lot of connections to be made, and it did give me, a, I feel like, a fuller picture. Um, obviously, we said we didn't even know that Brooke was in it, or, or sorry, that Drew was in it until she came on the screen, but I'm so glad that we didn't, because I never would have wanted to leave that till the end and say, like, oh, well, this is going to be one of the last things, because this is the last thing she's in, um, because it serves this era so much better then it, it would serve, you know, the very last episode of this uh, project. So, yeah, next week, uh, Poison Ivy. I think there's going to be some good and some bad with it. At the very least, she leads the movie. She is the titular character. And, um, you know, we're not going to be like... I, and I said this with, with Vince, too. Like, I like Vince Vaughn. When we watch these movies that he's not in, I go, like, what the fuck am I watching this for? Like, I don't have to watch all of his movies, but, like... This sucks, you know. Felt the same way with Drew. I, I, although I got a kind of charm out of Waxwork. Um, like, I, I, I like Drew. I want her to be in movies, you know. And so um, I, I'm excited to get back into that because she's been doing a lot of playing the kid or playing, uh, you know, she's just being in a cameo. Like, I feel like Firestarter was, like, the last time she was, like, the lead. Uh, the trailer park one. Oh, true, 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 true. But that stunk, so. <laughs> no, that was fun. I mean, it was true exploitation, but it was fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, try and separate the art from the artist. Not that any of these things are particularly artistic at this point, um, but, uh, y- you know, you get what I'm saying. If something's fun, it can be fun. Doesn't mean that it's morally correct, um, but that is the double-edged sword when it comes to a lot of art. Um, so, yeah. Do you have anything else you want to share? Any any thoughts on Pretty Baby? Anything you learned? Um, anything else? Nope. You can give the folks at home all the plugs. I'm so bad at this. You have it down to a science, and then you throw it to me. Um, you can find every single thing we do at FeaturePresentationVideo.com. You can find every podcast we do, which includes the Drew Barrymore-thon, all of our archived archived episodes of the Vince Vaughn-a-thon, Why Two Kids, which we've already like semi-plugged in this episode already, um, as well as our feature presentation flagship podcast. All of those podcasts can be found on your streaming app of choice. If you choose to listen to us on a streaming app, we encourage you to rate us five stars. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, leave us a nice review 
and um, as I made the joke on my two kids today, help us uh, get a bigger apartment for all the the physical media we have. Um, all of the all of the Drew VHSs that Patrick is now collecting after collecting all of the Vince ones. Um, Yes, uh, but FeaturePresentationVideo.com is where you can find everything we do. Everything beyond the podcast, podcast included, though. Um, see our contributors' work. We do articles. We do uh, fun things all the time uh, that you can see five days a week. Um, Patrick has a lot of exciting things come up, coming up soon for the festival circuit that I will not spoil, um, but a lot of um, exciting, exciting things coming to FeaturePresentationVideo.com. Uh, you can also find the show at Barry Morathon on Twitter. You can also send us an email, if you'd like, at DrewBarryMorathon at gmail.com. You can find me on Letterboxd, which I very badly need to go through and update with yes. what we've been watching because I've I'm been like lacking. Yes, I'm lacking. Um, you can find me on Letterboxd, though, regardless, at Taylor Malone. You can find me on Twitter at MailerTalone. You can find me at Patrick J. Regal, everywhere you find people online. You can find this show next week when we cover Poison Ivy from 1992. We will see you then. See you then.